2020 vision is kind of what we've been talking through, and I was thinking about it when I was on my holidays, um, uh, and I was thinking, you know, what do we want to start the year off? And I thought, what are some core habits within the kingdom of God that we need to develop in our lives that are just essential? They're not, they're not, it's, this is not a list of all the habits that we can develop, but I thought, what are four core ones that we can work on and develop in our life that get a vision for our life And if we can do that, uh, we would just be so blessed to be able to do that. And so we talked about the first week, we talked about the power of the Word of God. And what we talked about was getting into the habit of of daily engaging with God in His Word and, uh, you know, spending time in the Scriptures and the power of that. And, And we really went into, like, really, if you... This is an incredible thing in your life if you learn how to daily engage with God and His Word and the God of the Word. And then we talked about uh, the power of fellowship last week. And uh, it was a very emotional week for me because the Holy Spirit was just unfolding and unloading in my heart how connected you are to God and to one another. And so, you know, the power of fellowship, committing to fellowshipping with the body of Christ, committing to church, committing to things like care groups. You know, we work very, very hard at this church to not make you too busy doing church things so that you can live as, as believers in your life. You know, and, and, but really the importance of you spending time uh, in fellowship on Sundays like this is so powerful and so awesome. And so we talked about that last week. This week, I want to talk about the power of identity. Now, I struggled with the title of the sermon. I'm going to just be honest with you. Uh, because it didn't sound great when I went with the first title, which is the power of repentance. It's like, oh... There's power in repentance? Yeah, it's a powerful thing. So, so I went through different names. The power of examine, which will make sense in a minute. The power of agreement with God. And I landed on the power of identity, which by the end of the service will make sense. So don't leave halfway through this service or you will miss the whole thing. But I'm going to tell you about a vital habit that if you will develop this habit, and it doesn't sound, forgive this word, but it doesn't sound sexy the power of repentance. But I'm going to tell you if that you will develop this habit in your life of when you're in communion with God in your life and you're having moments of revelation that you're saying, oh, I fell short here. I, I didn't understand something or I acted or behaved in a certain way. And God is bringing something to my heart that I need to yield to him. And even this table that we're going to partake of in just a little while, the communion table, really means we're in common union with God. And one of the habits throughout the history of the church has been this thing called the prayer of examine. And so the prayer of examine, uh, we're going to look at it as the power of identity in a few minutes, but the prayer of examine is basically examining ourselves before the Lord and saying, God, you know what? Um, I need you to show and reveal some things to me in my life today, and I want you to learn how to do that correctly, because if you can learn how to do that correctly in your life, I'm going to tell you it's going to change your life. And what you're going to learn is that it's not just when we come to communion table that we're to examine ourselves before the Lord, but that you can have times throughout your day, every day, where you pause and bring different issues before the Lord in the moments of your day. And if you will learn to do that, it will shape your life in an incredibly powerful way. The prayer of examine actually comes from this passage. You may have heard this passage before, but here it is, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says, search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me And know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Now I want you to get something. This passage of scripture has been practiced by Christians for two millennium. For 2,000 years, the church has pulled people back to this scripture. To what this scripture entails And even before that, the Jewish followers of God would turn to this scripture to have a moments of examine before the Lord. 
And even the communion table we're going to partake of, as I've said, is this prayer of examine being lived out. Richard Foster tells us that the prayer of examine is like walking through a door. He says there's two sides to a door. You walk through the door, and the first part of the door that you're to examine your life in is you're to recognize where you have met God today. You're to recognize in your life where you've seen God in others, where you've experienced God. You're to be thankful. That's the first part of the door. And when you open the door, the other side of the door is to say, God, where did I fall short? Where did I fall short when I met you today? Where did I fall short when when, uh, I met you in other people today? And that's the prayer of examine. So Richard Foster lays that out in his book on the spiritual disciplines. He talks about this prayer of examine. But there's an early church father, and I told you this has been throughout the history of the church. How many have ever heard of a guy named Ignatius Loyola? And so Ignatius Loyola, he, he basically was an early church father, and he, he really directed many people into learning about spiritual disciplines. And one of the spiritual disciplines he practiced every single day with his followers was this prayer of examine. And let me tell you how he laid it out. He said this, become aware of God's presence. Just, just kind of in your moment, just pause, and anybody can do this. You can do this right now where you're sitting. You can say, God where are you right now? Now, you know what this requires? I'm going to tell you what it requires. You have to step outside of yourself. And you have to say, okay, why am I thinking about Boston Pizza that's going to be opening in like a month? This is so exciting. I can't really pay attention to this pastor right now because pizza, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about that, but you have to step outside of that. And say, why am I thinking about pizza? Where are you, God, in this moment? So Ignatius Loyola taught them to start by just kind of finding God in the moment that you're in right now. And then he said, review the day with gratitude. And that's a good, good discipline, amen? To start to just say, God, where did I see you today? Where, where did I see you and experience you today? God, where did I see you in people? How many of you know, have you ever recognized that? Have you ever had moments of pause in your life when you're like, man, I saw you in that person at the grocery store. Man, I encountered you, God, when I was standing in the line of the grocery store and that person didn't have that extra change and, or I saw that lady pay for the person behind her because she didn't have enough change. Like, have you ever, you see God in all the moments of your day. Are you with me? So Leola would teach them to kind of review the day with gratitude. Where have you seen God in your work life? Where have you seen God in your personal life? Where have you seen God? And then he said this, third third thing, pay attention to your emotions, your attitudes, where you fail to respond in love in your day. How many of you we all have those moments? We all have those moments of frustration with people at work, maybe with our boss, or maybe you're the boss and you've got problems with your people. And God is, you know, having you reflect on your day and saying, okay, I'm not responding in love. I'm reacting in this moment. And then he says, ask God for forgiveness and invite him into that forgiveness, that healing process that you're entering into. And then he ends his prayer of examine with this. Look forward to tomorrow with faith and anticipation. That's a pretty good way to kind of live and shape your day, amen? Amen. This prayer of examine, this thing that's been practiced for years, is really looking into ourselves and looking past ourselves, not becoming so self-absorbed and self-focused, but pressing down even further, further. And I think that, uh, uh, sorry, um, we were in this course on soul care, and it was awesome. Megan taught us to press down, kind of like going through an iceberg and all the things you got to press through in your life to get to the very core of yourself. If you ever get a chance to take that course, so clear, she'll teach that again. It's very good. It's finding God in the midst of us, <laughs> of our day, of our existence. It's longing to know him more. Now, before I start the sermon, um, you say, well, you've already started, Pastor Greg, but I understand. Here's the thing. Why should you listen to me? It doesn't sound that great. What benefit could possibly come from reflecting on my day, seeing where God was moving and where I responded to him moving, and then seeing where I didn't respond to him? What benefit could possibly come? And why would I want to develop that as an amazing habit for 2020? I'm going to tell you that you live in a world today that is teaching 
preaching and practicing the opposite of the prayer of examine. We're living in a world today that is pointing, that is blaming, that is justifying, that is doing everything they can to take the eyes off themselves, to excuse, to blame, to do all those things. That is the culture that you are part of today. And God is saying, this will not produce the life of God in you that you need. So you're going to be counter-cultural by practicing the prayer of examine. Hallelujah. So hang on, beautiful ones, because that's who you are, the beautiful ones, the shiny ones. And let's let the Holy Spirit take us on a little bit of a journey to learn how to do the prayer of examine properly, which is just kind of setting you up for communion, by the way. But let's pray. Jesus, I know I'm uh, walking in territory in this sermon, and that territory is where the devil does not want us to live. But yet you live there. (laughs) You live there, Father. Lord, we are to look at our day with great delight and joy and great thanksgiving. And yet, God, there are moments when we're to reflect in our day and in our life and come to this place of examine, this place of repentance, and ultimately this place of identity, of whose we are and who we are. And so, Holy Spirit, help me now. I I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to flood the hearts of your people, to open the eyes of their heart that they might know the hope that you've called them to, that they might know the glorious inheritance that you are longing to give them, and that they might know the power of repentance and the power of identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just jump right in as we talk about this thing called repentance or coming to God with our junk, our stuff. Let's just jump into the problem. The problem is that we have a self-centered approach to repentance. That's the problem, even within the church. So let me jump out to another scripture that kind of proves the scripture we started with in Psalms. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Isn't that a good sorrow to have? Something that leads you to, so, to, to, to salvation, that leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Wow. You see, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? <laughs> you know, I find with Christians, um, the problem is not that they... Don't, aren't sorry for their sin. The problem is they're too sorry for their sin and they don't know how to get out of it. And so they sit there and mull over things that keep them broken and hurting and distressed. Let me read it to you again in the Message Bible. This is not going to come up on your screen, but let me just read it to you. Listen carefully. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain But those who let the stress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. See, this passage is telling us about two pathways that we can take. And it's interesting, in these two pathways, it's really kind of pushing us towards something. Godly sorrow leads us to one place, and worldly sorrow leads us to another place. And I want you to understand, God's Spirit is engaged in your life at all times. And he is leading you somewhere. And that word leading is a very powerful word. It means he's compelling you. He's drawing you. He's pushing you. He he is pleading with you. He is saying, here's the way that brings salvation. And salvation is a great word, you guys. That leads you to salvation. Salvation means wholeness. Salvation means joy. Salvation means peace. Salvation means no regrets. It's a good, it's a powerful word. 
The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to your heart and to your mind. It's why it's so important to be in church. It's why it's so important to be in the Word of God because it's that, that's the fuel that fuels the Spirit's power in your life, revealing things to you, compelling you, and drawing you more and more and more into salvation. God help us. God is partnering with us, church. That's the intent. That's the heart. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it's all about. But worldly sorrow pushes you to another place. And so the Spirit of God wants you to be aware. These two forces are always at work in your life. There's another voice. And this other voice is pushing you towards world-centeredness. It's pushing you towards ultimately self-centeredness. It leads us, listen to me carefully, it leads us to a solution for our pains and our problems and our sins that is apart from God. That's what worldly sorrow does. You see, the solution inside of you or in the world around you. It's why I don't agree totally with churches who preach self-help techniques. Because ultimately, the more mature I get in my, in my walk with Jesus, the more I realize I need him. I'm not becoming more independent of God in my maturity. I'm actually becoming more dependent on God in my maturity. I just get there a lot quicker now. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go down that road because that road leads to death. That road leads to regret, Lord. Oh, that's not, that, that road doesn't work. And trust me, I've tried to go down that road. That road of beating yourself up. That road of saying, oh, I'm such a worm. I'm so terrible. I can't, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Does that help? It doesn't help. See, the world, listen to me. The world's path, this is very critical, promises life, but it delivers death. It's just what God knows to be true. <laughs> he knows it. If you go down this road of regret, if you go down this road of beating yourself up, if you go down this road of, oh, I made such a terrible mistake, I can't, how can I fix this? I need to work harder, I need to do more, I need, you need to stop. And you need to find God. This is what he's challenging us in this text. You have a choice to which voice that you're listening to that is leading you in your curriculum that is in your bulletins, I gave you a, a question, or Pastor Peter helped craft it, um, that leads you to like, what, is, what does God's voice sound like? Have you ever asked that question? Because I, I think a lot of believers actually think they're hearing God when they're hearing themselves. And they're hearing a voice that is so condemning and so brutal and so angry. If you ever want this test, and I think this is part of what you're going to learn, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the love chapter, and replace the word love with the name Jesus. Jesus is kind. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus never fails. Je you know, just do the list. And then tell yourself, is this the voice that I'm listening to? Is this the voice of God? Because I'm going to tell you there's a voice even inside of you that opposes God. And so church, this is a critical habit for you to develop. You see, godly sorrow leads us to greater life with God. It leads us to abundant life, to joy-filled life, to peace-filled life. It never separates us from him, but leads us closer toward him. Isn't that the kind of repentance you want? <laughs> it's the kind I want. See, worldly sorrow leads us to regret. It leads us to fear. It leads us to self-loathing. It leads us to anguish, to angst, to avoidance, to anger, to pride, to condemnation. By the way, pride and condemnation, listen to me very carefully, pride and condemnation are the same coin. They're just different sides of the same coin. 
Pride is self-centeredness that says, I am sufficient without God. Condemnation is self-centeredness that says, woe unto me, I can't do anything, and I'm void of God. You're not the answer. (laughs) That's what we're hearing. Listen to me now. It's very important. Our damaged self-image constantly votes against us and we begin beating ourselves mercilessly. So many Christians I know beat themselves mercilessly. They don't like themselves. Can I tell you that God loves you? And that God likes you? He likes you. (laughs) You're the apple of his eye. He he actually has pictures of you in his wallet. He does. It's a big wallet. And and he's that that guy that when the angels come around, he whips, he takes the wallet out and he's like, oh, you gotta look at this. And the angel's like, here we go again. Oh, here's God's kids. No, they don't have watches in heaven, so it's okay. It's okay. Do you understand? So, so listen to this, guys. Guys, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to blow it. We're all going to do things that are wrong in our day. We're all going to do that. We're all going to not act in love sometimes. But where do you go with that? <laughs> what do you do with that? God is telling us and giving us this incredible gift of this prayer of examine. That if you'll practice it moment by moment in your life. By the way, it's not just at communion you can practice it. It's not just at the end of the day. There are times in my day when I lay my head on my desk and I say, oh God, did I ever just blow that? But thank you that you're here right now with me. Thank you that I can bring you into this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to me now. (laughs) Listen to me now. God is not so needy and so self-centered that he demands that you follow and obey him and repent when you blow it. That's not who God is. Do you know this is going to blow your mind? I've said this to you before, but I hope it hits your heart. God is the least controlling being in the universe. Blasphemy! No, you are free to do whatever you want. (laughs) God won't strike you dead. He has empowered you to make decisions in your life. How many know that's good and bad sometimes? Don't you wish God would just take control of your life sometimes? Like, come on, God, I'm wrecking this one. Yeah, I know you are. (laughs) Whoo, are you driving off a cliff right now? But because of his great love and mercy and goodness toward us, he leads us back to the path of life. You have a choice. I have a choice. We're constantly being drawn toward paths. One produces life and one brings death. Just understand that. That is your everyday life, guys. This decision. See, decisions in the moment aren't going to kill you, usually. But decisions over the long haul will produce a death in you. How many of you know that's true? Or decisions in the long haul don't produce life in you instantaneously. Like coming to church, well, I don't see the value in that. Well, come for long enough for the value to be lived out in your life. Then you'll see the value. We don't have instantaneous things in the kingdom of God. They grow They grow in us. Hallelujah. Let me read to you again. We're going to jump back to Psalm 139. But this is in the Passion Translation. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that has been hidden within me and put me to the test and sift me through all my anxious cares See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you.
You see, beautiful ones, there's two paths. <laughs> our identity is either self-centered or our identity is God-centered. It's just the two paths we have to choose from continually, constantly. And I want to give you an example just in my own life of how this works and, and so for you to get it. Um, so as I'm, the last several weeks, I've been telling my wife this, I've been going through a highly reflective, introspective kind of time. Like, you ever have like moments of stepping out of yourself and looking at yourself and going, man, why am I thinking that way? Holy smokes, am I ever being hard? Or am I ever being like totally loosey-goosey and crazy? Like, why am, I, why am I so distracted? You ever step out of yourself and say, why am I talking about Boston Pizza right now when he's trying to preach? Like, what is going on? Because you keep bringing up Boston Pizza. That's why we're thinking about, no, don't stop thinking about Boston Pizza for a minute. So our identity leads us there, guys. We have a lens that we see life through, and God is wanting us to understand something. You know, one path leads to anxiety and pain and loneliness in my life, and there's an everlasting path that leads us into life with God. Now, this was interesting for me. In studying and preparing for this sermon, uh, I looked up and began to research the Hebrew word for everlasting. And it was like, okay, now things are making a little more sense to me, God. So the word everlasting, I'm just going to tell you, the word is olam. It's spelled L-A-W-M. Olam. Okay, you're thinking, the O is first, sorry. Um, and the word means this. Let me just read to you from the Hebrew what it means. It means veiled from sight, concealed or secret, a vanishing point in time or out of mind, the word for eternity. It is the word that is, means perpetual at any and all time from beginning and without end. Okay, this is what I'm saying to you. Every single day that you and I live our lives, there are, there's right alongside my decisions and my choices and this world and all the things that this world operates in, there's another kingdom that is literally right alongside of it. And this kingdom is called the kingdom of God. And it's not visible. It's actually, it's actually not visible in your moments of your day unless you pull yourself into that kingdom by pulling God into the moment of your life. This is why the prayer of examine is so critical, church. It's actually pausing long enough to say, why am I being so anxious right now? And saying, God, where are you in this moment? And when you do that, suddenly he opens up another kingdom, another path, the eternal way of God. And, and when you start to discipline your life in this understanding of life, when you start to understand that I can walk my life totally void of God, and I can live with all the consequences of that, or I can walk my life and have all the, these different forces and factors pressing against me, and I can pull God into that moment. This is what it means to be a follower of God. It's actually stepping outside of yourself long enough to say, God, search me, know me, see if there's anxious ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Open the eyes of my heart, God. Because if you don't, I'm going to keep walking on this path and I don't even know where it's leading and I don't even know that it's leading me to destruction. Pastor Peter shared a story with us at staff meeting because I was telling him what I'm preaching on and he's sharing the story and I cannot be as emotional or as passionate as Pastor Peter was in sharing this story. But let it paint a picture for you. So he's watching like a National Geographic show you know how they always personify animals and you feel like this emotional connection to an animal? And they're showing this baby elephant. And the baby elephant, they're, they're, they're giving a helicopter's view, and the baby elephant is wandering away from the herd. And it's wandering away from the water hole. And you know this guy with a British accent that just makes it sound more serious, more dreadful? He is wandering away and he does not know that he is about to die. And he's like, oh, and Peter's screaming at the TV and he's saying, turn the baby around! <laughs> and he's 
almost crying in staff meeting. We're all looking at each other going, wow, Peter, this is emotional for you. Do you, under, do you understand? He was showing us this picture, and this is what God is saying sometimes. Where are those baby elephants? We're walking along in our life. We're walking away from the tribe of God. We're walking away from the watering hole, and we don't even know we're heading into a desert wasteland. And he's saying, if you will but pause in the moments of your day and ask me, I will give you guidance, and I will lead you on the everlasting path. Do you ever have those moments of light? Ah, there you are, God. Whew, I was heading the wrong way. I got to turn around. Now, I had never seen this before. I started prepping for this sermon probably three weeks ago. And I, I found something that shocked me in a beautiful way. The entirety of Psalm 139 is about identity. Everything leading up to this prayer of examine, and I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen it in the context before. God had never opened my eyes to show me this. I've always prayed the prayer of examine, just the last two verses, but I never went back and saw the context of the verses until preparing for this message, so thank you very much. Because God is basically saying the entirety of repentance is based on who you are and whose you are. And if you don't get that, you're going to go down a worldly path that will lead to destruction. But if you will let me show you whose you are and who you are, you will find life and life abundant. Let's read that. And I know you're going to sound this is ridiculous, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to read the entire psalm. So hang in there. Let God paint a picture for you. Here we go. We are fully known because God is omniscient. Listen carefully to the text. You can follow along on the screen. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every moment of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought before it enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I take before my journey even begins. I love this. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful and deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. This is the God that's walking with you, church. His hand is on you. He's going before you. He's blessing you every step that you take. And when you feel alone, listen to me, when you feel alone, that's why you got to pause. Say, God, you, you've promised me that you know everything about me. You're omniscient. You, you, you're all-knowing. I don't have to worry, God. I'm facing this medical emergency. I'm facing this medical issue. God, I'm freaking out right now. Where are you? In my anxious thoughts, I pull on God and I say, God, come to this moment. And God shows up every time. He's always there. He's ever present. Are you following me? That, that life with God is always next to you, within you, around you. You just need to open your spiritual eyes. The omniscient one is there. He's got you. His hand is in you, on your life, church. See, this is why this is the power of identity. Whose am I and who am I? You're in communion with God. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. That's common union with. It's a reminder of whose I am. What goes on and says in the psalm, we're never alone. You see, God is omnipresent. He's not only all-knowing, he's ever-present. Listen to what it says. Listen carefully to the words. Let them paint a picture for you. Here we go. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. 
If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there also. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into a radiant sunset, there you are waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my light. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as day. There's no difference between the two. God is all-knowing, church, and he is ever-present. In every anxious thought, if you will but pause and invite God into that moment, you will find him. In every angry thought, if you will but pause and say, God, where are you? You know, yesterday at the funeral, I want to tell you that I used part of my message from today in the funeral. And, uh, you know, I talked about in the funeral yesterday that there are rooms in our life. And uh, what we don't understand is our life is like a house. And, uh, you know, there are rooms that we love to hang out in. You know, the, the living room. You know, the kitchen. There, there's great rooms. You know, I don't know, you have your own rooms that you love. I love this picture of walking through your house, but do you understand that in every single one of your lives and in my life, there are rooms that are closed doors? You ever invite people over your house and the first thing you do is close every door they can't go into? <laughs> Why is this door locked? There's a reason that door is locked. How many of you know God knows that you have rooms like that? Rooms you don't want to go into? Think about the rooms in your life, church. The rooms of disappointment. The rooms of fear. The rooms of anger or angst. The rooms of selfishness or even the rooms of self-hatred. The places of anxiety. This is why you're asking, God, search me. See, where are the anxious ways in me? I told you in prepping for this sermon, I, I, I had a high introspection times, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, why am I so anxious right now? And as I stood back and looked at my life, I was saying, you know, I'm thinking about the new church building and how we're going to pay for it. And I'm thinking about maintaining the staff and I'm thinking about the health of the staff and I'm thinking about the health of our church family and I'm thinking about people that are part of the body of Christ and they're not attending church. And like, where are they, God? What's going on? Why are they doing that? And anxious, 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 anxious. And God's saying, Greg, pause. Breathe. <laughs> Invite me in. Nothing's changed. <laughs> but God is with you in the moment. And he says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Love it. That's what the prayer of examine does. It invites God into the rooms of your life. And what you're going to find is when he gets there, he is all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's not come to condemn you, to kill you, to hurt you, to rob you, to destroy you. That's the devil's work. He's come to give you life and life abundant. This is why this is one of the most powerful habits you can develop for 2020. Let's go on and read. We're created with purpose. God is omnipotent. So here, check this out. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present, right? He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he is omnipotent. <laughs> he is all-powerful. Do you understand who you're connected to? 
He's telling you before you examine yourself, before you look into your life, before you peer into all the things that are wrong, look at who is walking with you. Listen to this. You formed my innermost being. You shaped my delicate inside and my intricate outside. You wove them together in my mother's womb. Thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You've informed my every bone in my body. You created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I ever became me. What a great line. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of my days was planned for me. You already recorded them in, all, in your book. Isn't that unbelievable to think that God knows every step you're ever going to take and have ever taken or ever going to take, and he's walked before you and he's seen it already happen? Even when you're a complete, ridiculous doorknob, God picked you, knowing that you would be on that day a complete, ridiculous doorknob. That's not in the text. You saw who you created me to be before I became me, before I ever seen the light of day. The number of my days planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you're thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, you desire toward me more than the grains of sand on the seashore. When I awake each morning, you are still with me. God is obsessed with you. <laughs> so stop obsessing about yourself. That's a good line. That's, write that one down. That's a t-shirt. Yeah, God is obsessed with you, so stop obsessing about yourself. He's got you covered. He's got you covered, church. Who you are and whose you are makes all the difference in your repentance and you're feeling bad for your stuff. God picked you before you picked him. He knew you, he created you, he wove you together, he knew every mistake you'd ever make and he still said, I love you enough to die for you. What a God. And then the Psalm goes crazy. It's like, Something happens in the psalm that just doesn't make any sense. Let me read it to you. You see, we must choose to find our source and identity in him. Let me close with this. Our God, it says, oh God, come and slay these bloodthirsty, murderous men. You're like, what happened to the God? of? Ooh, this is crazy. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. See how blasphemous you, you blaspheme your sacred name and lift them up themselves against you all but in vain. Lord, can't you see how I despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see, when they rise up against you. I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them. Your enemies shall be my enemies. Pause, stop. We're not going to look at the rest of the verse yet because it's the prayer of examine after that. All of a sudden, the psalm jumps out into this weird kind of like, what the heck? I hate these people. Do you understand now what, what is he saying here? Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those things I end up doing. And he, he becomes self-centered and self-focused. I, I, I. He uses the personal pronoun I 21 times in seven verses. He becomes so self-centered. And he's like, who will rescue me from this body of death? Ah! And then Roman 8 comes the most glorious masterpiece of the entire New Testament. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. In what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son to live in me, to love me, to get my eyes off myself, 
You see, this passage is pointing us back to that you have another way. You can go down the way of bloodthirsty men. You can go down the way of self-condemnation. You can go down the way of hating yourself, just like he loathed these people, just like Paul loathed himself. Or you can go the way of God. The way of God produces life and freedom and peace and joy and thanksgiving and hope and a glorious finale. So this is why we can ask God to search us and to know us. This is why we need the word in our life daily. This is why we need to commit to fellowship with one another. This is all these things. This is why we need to pause in the moments of our day and invite the Spirit of God to examine us. Examine me, Lord. Because I want to walk in the everlasting way. I don't want to walk in the pathway of destruction and death. I want to walk in the pathway of peace. You're going to have communion in a minute. The entirety of this message was to set up this moment. You are invited to the table of the living God whose body was broken for you, whose blood was shed for you. Not out of anger, not out of hatred, not out of you better get your life together. Look what I did for you. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God is I knew that you were gonna blow so many things and wreck so many things, but I have done something that will set you free and begin to build you toward life and life abundant. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to return. Church, I call this the power of identity. Because if you know whose you are and who you are, you can walk in victory in every part of your life. Let me close with this story while they're coming. There's a story of uh, a king, I think it was King uh, Louis XVI, and uh, he's, uh, just say hi for me, whoever it is. Um, <laughs> king Louis XVI, I'm just kidding, by the way, don't say hi. Um, say, where aren't you in church? That's what you say. <laughs> King Louis XVI, his son is kidnapped. Louis XVI is kidnapped, and he's kidnapped not to be killed, but to be corrupted. As strange as that sounds, these people wanted to kidnap him, to corrupt him, so that when he became king, they had control over him. So what they did was they brought him in, and they, and they began to expose him to lewd and lusting women. They began to expose him to, to, to food with richness and, and abundance that he just couldn't, you know, it just would make him a slave to his appetite, make him a slave to his passions. And everything they did for months, they tried to corrupt this kid, and they could not corrupt him. And finally they said, listen, we've offered you all these incredible things which would bring pleasure in the moment, which would bring, you know, you would enjoy this. Why aren't you partaking of these things? And he says the most incredible statement. He says this, I cannot do the things that you ask because I was born to be a king. That's not my identity. My identity is not in slavery, but my identity is in sonship. My identity is not in slavery, but my identity is in I'm a daughter of the king. And I don't have to live low when I could live high. That's the table you're taking part of, church. So when you come today, don't come with a condemning voice. Come with a thankful voice, a joy-filled voice, a heart of thanksgiving. And how communion is going to work in a moment as we take it, you just take a piece of bread, you dip it in the wine. You don't have to drink the wine. You don't have to share. We're not going to pass the viruses. Just dip it in. You don't have to dip your hand in the wine. Just dip a little bit. We have all these disclaimers before. We even have gluten-free options right over here. We have communion tables at the back of the room and the front of the room. When you're ready, when you've had a time and a moment of examine before the Lord... 
And for some of you, your examine is actually going to be, you know, God, I've been way too hard on myself because I've been thinking it's your voice, but it was never your voice. Right? And you say, God, help me to learn this great power of repentance based on my identity. That you are fiercely loved, church. You are so valuable to God. Can we do that? Why don't you bow your heads right with me? Holy Spirit, for each one gathered here today, Lord, I know there are many people that need to be free from voices of condemnation. And if that is you here today, that you just need freedom from the condemning voice that keeps beating you down, telling you how terrible you are, I know there are going to be many people that respond to this altar. And I want you to raise your hand right now if that's you. Many, many, many hands going up. God. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Maybe you are just saying, I, you know what, I just don't even bring God into any part of my life. I never think about it, but then I, my life is not going the way I want it to go and things are going badly and I, I gotta start bringing God more into my life every moment of every day, my anxious thoughts, my fearful thoughts. Maybe that's you and maybe you need to raise your hand again or you raise your hand for the first time. I'm gonna open up that altar to you right now and say, God, if that's you, raise your hand. Bring God into that anxious moment that you're going through. Don't be shy. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Thank you for being honest. You can look at me again. You know, one of the things about being your pastor is oftentimes I repent of everything before you do. And I do that as an example to you, but I also, I need to be an accountable, accountable to you. So thank you for hearing me when I tell you how crazy I am sometimes and the things I do. And lastly, if you're here today and you're saying, I need to get my life right with God, and everyone's looking at you right now, this is wonderful. If that's you, you know what? You be bold for the Lord right now. And you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get things right with God. Yes, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. If you raised your hand just now or you've ever raised your hand, we're going to all invite Christ into our life and then we're going to have communion. Repeat after me out loud, every person in this room. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who died for me, who loves me. I pray that I will serve him and bring him into every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give these eight people, nine people a hand? <laughs> Come back next week. I'm going to share.